Hi, I'm Tony Mala, and welcome to the ASA Podcast, a program for automotive professionals that helps keep you ahead of what's now, what's new, and what's next in the business of automotive service and collision repair. This podcast is brought to you by the Automotive Service Association, dedicated to driving your success. And we'll be sharing information, insight, and inspiration that will not just help you make a living, it will help you make a difference. Hi, we're talking today with Steve Westoff, the owner of ProCat Auto Service in Toms River, New Jersey. And Steve and I came together by an interesting quirk of fate. I had called for some individuals who were world-class technicians a while ago, and Steve was one of the ones who answered the email. In talking with Steve, I thought he had such an interesting story that we had to do a podcast together. So, Steve, welcome to the show. Hi, how are you doing today, Tony? If I was any better, I'd have to be twins to appreciate it. But I got to tell you, in talking with you prior to this, I was really impressed with some of the things you're doing and some of the ways you're doing it. You represent our generation of shop owner. And I know that this is a transition period that we're all going through where tons of us are retiring every day. But you have some interesting ideas about what being in the industry means and what you're going to do going forward that I think is worth sharing. So without further ado, I'd like to get into that with you if you got some time. Sure do. And I'll tell you, we're the old guys. Yeah. We're the guys that the young guys used to go, look at that old guy. What's he doing here? You know, we used to think we we're something when we were young. But the reality is I've been doing this for coming up on 50 years now. Yeah. And I just turned 66 years old. I still feel like I'm 25 until I go to do something. And I look in the mirror. But cars were very simple when I first started. Set of points, pretty much work on a car with a screwdriver and a hammer. Those days are gone. Cars have moved forward. I love the technology. I love the change. And the younger techs coming into this field, they have a real lot to uh, learn. They, and, and, you know, you find a new type of a person today. It's much more sophisticated to get under a car, his pans, covers, all that. So you need a, a guy that's a little bit more motivated. But, you know, one of the things I really think is exciting is the changes in cars. Yeah. And I use this analogy. You know, we used to have a doctor come to the house. He had one bag. And he had everything in that little bag and he took care of you. Auto repair used to be like that too. But then over the years, it's broken down. I go to the doctor, he sends me to a hand doctor. He sends me to an ear doctor. He sends me to a foot doctor. And you go into a shop now and everybody's specialized. Yeah. You got your front end and brake guys. You got your guys that are good on diagnostics. You got the electrical guys. You know, you got your transmission guys. The fields become very complicated. And because of that, it's a great challenge educationally and trade-wise, to train these young men and women how to fix cars and how to use the tools properly and, and to work into an area that you're interested. And I got to tell you, it's the best time ever to be in this field because there's a lot of aspects of cars. You know, you got computers in cars, networks in cars. Some of the European cars have fiber optic networks, backup cameras. The old car's still there. You still got brakes, tires, steering, yeah. and transmission. So Cars have advanced. They're still the same old looking, you know, steering wheel and driving, but there's a lot more technology. And that's a great challenge today. You know, it really is. And I know you have a background in the military and we want to thank you for your service, but let's go back a little bit. Again, like I said, you represent, as, as do I, the transition that we're going through right now in the industry. But tell me how you first got started. How did you get into the industry? I kind of love gadgets and cars, you know, from a young kid. And my dad had retail business and he had aspirations for me to be a salesman. But I love taking things apart. And wow, did I get in trouble because I took apart things I was never supposed to take apart. My uncle had a small gas station. Another one had a machine shop. 
And my father, you know, when I was in school, I said, I want to be a mechanic. And the vocational teacher said to my parents, no, no, Mr. and Mrs. Westhoff, that's for the kids that can't use their heads. We're going to teach them how to use their hands. So I wasn't allowed to go to vocational school. So I had to sneak there. I had to sneak over to my uncle's garage and I had this natural ability to fix things. So I wound up being at 14 years old as lead tech. At 15, I went to work with my uncle and he had Corvettes and a couple often houses stock cars. And my dad thought I was working on my tool and die apprenticeship, which is okay. You know, all my uncles were all Navy machinists. So, uh-huh. but I love working on cars. So I had to kind of do that on the side. So um, as I went along, you know, I worked my uncle. I started progressing to a pretty good technician, transmission work, engine work, and all that. You know, I always worked for my dad. He had a seasonal business, but I always tried to spend time in the machine shops and and I got to a certain point where I knew I had to get a better education. My one uncle said, you got to go to school. you got to get a better education. The trades are good, but you got to back it up with some college. So I joined the Army to get some money for college, mm-hmm. mechanical engineering, science, physics, right? And I joined in you know, 1977 as an automobile repair technician, 63 Bravo, a wheel vehicle technician. Mm-hmm. It was probably one of the best things I did. Good structure. I went to school in South Carolina. They taught me how to fix Jeeps, trucks, cars. And then, uh, you know, I was shipped to Korea. I was in the second division for a year over there. They were short mechanics, so I worked on tanks also. Mm-hmm. Good diversity, right? And they were short people, so I worked in the supply room. And, did, you know, you just wind up. And I volunteered for everything because I want to learn. Mm-hmm. And while I was in the Army, I, I started my college education. And that was great. That's why I joined. When I was in uh, Korea, that's where I met my wife. Oh, August 7th, 1977, Stephen Kennedy married us. And uh, coming up on you know 43 years, August 7th. Congratulations. Came back to a station in Georgia. That was great duty. I was on an airfield and I was so happy because it was simple work. And boom, they changed it to a rapid deployment force anywhere in the world except for uh, Europe in 24 hours. So, you know, it was always a lot of pressure and you always had it. And the military taught me, buy the book. Everything has to be done with a policy and procedure. So, you know, I got a lot of structure. Got out of the Army in 1981, and I was in Savannah, Georgia. I had a little trailer down there. I was restoring a couple of Corvettes in the driveway, and I had a drag strip across the street. I used to race. I had a little Nova with a three-speed transmission with 350, straight pipes. You know, I just love my cars. There's always something, you know, uh-huh. got to make it faster, got to take it apart. And then um, my dad was ailing, and he needed a little help, so I moved back up to New Jersey, brought my wife up, and had our first child. When kids come along, you got to focus on work. So I started working days as a mechanic in a small town. I worked nights as a police officer. I joined the Armory Reserves. Did that for about 10 years. And, and then I quit everything. 33 years ago, I bought my first house, a little garage. I had a clientele following me, you know, about 18 customers. I quit everything, opened up ProCat, one bay. My wife worked nights in a factory. She came during the day and answered the phone. I worked like crazy. And uh, over the years, I started to expand. Uh, 18 months later, I hired some help, bought a line machine, then I had two bays. And then now I have 16 bays, 10 lifts, and, you know, I really need to have 10 people working for me right now. Yeah. But always focused on the changes in the cars and how exciting it was, the challenges. You know, mm-hmm. doing an oil change, putting a brake job, that's one thing. When somebody comes in, my, my car doesn't run right. You know, my lights don't work. Or I've had it to three shops and they couldn't figure it out. You know, those kind of challenges. And then came the OBD2 plug. I got a van. I had an OTC scanner. And besides running my shop, I went from shop to shop to shop, plugged it in all the codes, gave some advice, came back and did a follow-up. And, and I love the diagnostics end of it. I love all the gadgets. So that seemed like it was easy for me, you know? It took me years to figure out how to make money doing it. 
So that's how I got into the business and got to the point where I am now. We have a great business. I've been doing it a long time. I've been in this location 33 years. Yeah. I want to start helping other people that went through what I went through. Take all those struggles, all those challenges that a good technician has when he's trying to run a business and help them. The proper decisions. Yeah. When do I market? What tool do I buy? What kind of work should I do? When should I spend money on training? What do I do to run my business and really provide a great service to the community? Yeah. You know, your story is somewhat typical for the boomer generation. Again, both of us are in that. We generally started because we love the business. And the challenge that you had mentioned has been something that's been, I think, a hallmark of certainly the last 20 years, probably more like the last 50 years in the automotive industry with all the technological changes. And we've been able to cope. But you were a bit unusual in that you had said earlier, you know, you went to college and you were more along the lines of exactly the STEM skills that we're telling young people today that we need in the industry. So in many ways, again, your story struck me. You're one of the precursors of what the industry is evolving into. And you've been doing it for 40 years. So Exactly. You know, what was really important to me is to understand all the science issues. And I learned at a very young age, the seven principles. And then, of course, then there's hydraulics in cars, and then there's electricity, and now there's electronics. So there's a lot of science involved. Yeah. Uh, but the thing that's been very valuable, and I teach guys, some guys are natural. Some guys want to be mechanics, and you're training them. We do a lot of in-house training. We do lunch and learns every Thursday. We offer classes a couple nights a week in the shop. Mm -hmm. And there's a few outside companies that offer some great online training. But there's different places you need to help teach service writers how to sell a little better, communicate a little better. You got to teach technicians how to choose between tool and technique, how to solve a problem, and how to manage your day. And there's, there's a huge balance if you're going to serve the community, not focus on the money, but focus on the service you're providing. There's a competition around me. They're in a business only for the money. Yeah. I usually pick up pieces when they're done. But like you're saying, the young people today, this is a very challenging field. And unfortunately, I, I do work with the schools as much as I can, because I'd like to see more enrollment in vocations, but to realize it is an academic subject. It's not just a vocation. Mm -hmm. These guys got to be able to read fast. They're going to have skills way beyond that I had when I was 14 doing my uncle's oil change on the ground with a wrench. You're right. Just in the research that we have to do these days, I mean, these things didn't exist, you know, when we got into the business, but you were also a bit unique in that it was quite a while ago that you achieved world-class technician status, right? When were you first named a world-class technician? It's interesting. I was working for a small town and I was one of two mechanics and, you know, mm -hmm. I got out of the military and I had some pretty good skills and I was the, you know, I was the new guy, I was the lead guy. I did all the rebuilding, all the fixing, all the diagnosing. And I was there about seven years and somebody said to me, you know, if you were a real mechanic, you'd be AAC certified. I said, what's that? So I found out it was a you know certification, voluntary, and there were 16 tests. So I signed up for all of them. I figured, you know, pass or fail, let me see where I am. And I passed them all. So my first sitting, I did the automotive, the body, and the truck. Yeah. And I passed them all. I said, wow, I actually know something. You know, not only can I look at it and figure it out, but I actually have some knowledge to back it up. I didn't realize it was such a big thing. I got this nice letter, come on out to the, uh, you know, you're now you know, inscribed in the Midland, Michigan Automotive Hall of Fame. And um, so, wow. And come on out and see your, you know, your name inscribed in the book. And, and uh, you know, I didn't have the time back then. It's funny because I think that's how we met. I've been looking for this book, you know, it's moved, right? But I was challenged into doing that. And then I just kept with it. Now I, you know, I've, I have 19 certifications. I'm a master certified auto technician with the L1. 
a master a truck technician uh, with the advanced diagnostics. I'm a service writer, certified service writer. You know, I love the technology. I take all those tests, but at the same time, a lot of the technicians that I'm helping, I'm trying to teach them how to study mm -hmm. and pass these tests. I constantly run a study program for AC technicians. I try to get them in on the bottom, learn the front end work, learn the brake work, learn the basic electrical work. And our goal in our shop is to develop master technicians if that's what they want. You know, it's a pretty interesting to get somebody up to the top. You know, my whole career, I've been trying to get rid of the stigma of being a mechanic, becoming an auto technician. Auto technicians, they are very complex. What they're working on requires a very high level of skill yeah. and knowledge and experience. And my whole career, and that's why I've always tried to work with vocational schools and try to get people really interested and raise it up. Mm -hmm. A lot of the uh, people I work for, the officers said, you know, the science is good, but you need to start working on business and management and organizational skills. Because, you know, one day you're going to get out and those are going to be important. So somewhere along the line, I split sciences and business. So I went to St. Louis College with some of my military money and worked on my, uh, my bachelor's for business. Thank God I did. Because things sometimes I sit down that I got to do with the keyboard mm -hmm. that I can't ask one of my technicians to do or that I wouldn't have been able to do without the college background. You know, there's a lot of things in business you got to do to run the business other than fix the car. Yeah. You've taken the time to actually share that knowledge too. You had mentioned you work on the advisory council for your local CTE program, right? Yeah. I work with uh, the Ocean County Vocational School in Waretown. I like to go down and see what they have uh, enrolled. They like to know what do you need out there today in the base? Look at our curriculum. Look what we're teaching. Is this what we're teaching, what you need so these kids can leave school and go out and start a job be, and go right to work and be productive? You know, there's always a transition from school into the workplace and getting it going. And it's been really a terrific thing that they have open ears and they listen. And then they get to hear what kind of tools we're using. Mm -hmm. You know, 20 years ago, I visited a couple of vocational schools, and they were teaching technologies and using equipment that was eight, nine years old, and working on a lot of modern cars, and kids are coming in. They could use the modern tire machines or bouncing equipment. Mm -hmm. So little by little, I see the vocational schools investing in that area. But the thing that's sad is the enrollment's low. You know, I belong to a couple of different organizations where they talk about, we're going to go out, we're speaking more to the elementary level and junior high level yeah. about you know, how it's a good occupation. And I'll tell you what, if you're a good tech and you can do some numbers, you can make a good income in skill. Let's explore that a little bit because I know, again, one of the reasons we're talking together is when you and I first spoke, you had mentioned the fact that you're, you're kind of getting close to the retirement. You're thinking about, you know, transitioning into something else and you're preparing for that in a very unique way. But you share a lot, I know, with the Voc Ed School. You had mentioned yourself, keeping up to speed on what we need in the industry to keep up. But you also take the time to develop the people that you have. Some of the new shop owners that are just coming into the business these days, what advice would you have for them? And I realized 30 years ago, it was a very different world, no question about it. But you had mentioned the business management stuff. Some of the key elements still exist. What are some of the key things you would, you would say to someone who said, I'm thinking about opening up my own shop? What do you think they need to know or think about right off the bat? First thing is, you know, if you're opening a shop in an area, is there a need? You know, you look at the type of car you're going to service. Mm -hmm. Are you capable of servicing those cars? When you go to open up a shop, if you're going to do high-end stuff like engine and diagnostics, you're going to have to have high-end techs, which are very rare. If you're going to do brake and front-end work and, and steering and suspension, you can bring in somebody 
that has some experience and they're more available mm-hmm. and train into the areas you want. But we believe there's a lot of good people. You know, I find that the kids coming out of vocational school, I've had a couple over the years that they're excited, they come out and six months into the field, the work's kind of hard and they're like, they didn't realize it was that hard. Mm. And they start to go, wow, this is work. And there's some of the guys love it. Yeah, This is great because they want to grow. But finding technicians is the biggest challenge. And when you, if you're getting into this business, you can open up a shop. You want to make sure, of course, you have a clientele. You want to look at your competition. But the biggest challenge with all the shops I talk to and all of our 20 groups and different organizations I belong to is finding help. Yeah. And then when you find help, training them and giving them the benefits they need to call it a good career, not just the job. It's a career. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, building that culture in a shop where people enjoy coming to that place and they're proud of the shop they work for because it provides a good service to the community. They do good work. They have a good reputation. You have to build on all those things to create a good business. You know, we're 30 years. We get about 10,000 regulars and we have five generations of customers coming to us. Mm-hmm. We have a good web presence and we do have some good marketing going on. But the strongest is the referrals because we treat people with respect and we address their problems and we make them feel important when they come through. Explaining to the customer what's going on because the technology is hard to translate sometimes. Uh, you know, the lights on because something happened over here right? or a gas cap was left loose or, you know, there's a lot to explain. And it's light years different from when before there was computers and uh, today it's, it's much different. Absolutely. And you're right. I mean, one of the biggest challenges that some of the shop owners have is, as you say, explaining to the customers what they're paying for. Because these days, you know, most consumers open the hood of a car and what do they see? Another hood, right? Everything is covered for a reason. With the type of technology that we have on the vehicles these days, it's it's not incorrect to say, look, there's very little that a consumer can do to a vehicle these days. They might be able to change an air cleaner, but if they put the cover back on wrong, they're going to set a trouble code. YouTube gives them the confidence that they can think they can do something. Yeah, it gives them the confidence, but not the capability, is what I always say. One of the things that I want to add about if you're going to open up a shop, most good technicians usually don't have great people skills. So if you're going to open up a shop, you're going to have a service writer that might not be really great with the mechanical end, but has good communication skills, can say to people, hey, yeah, this is what's wrong with your car. This is when it's going to be done. It's going to take this much to figure it out. Because most mechanics are pretty brash. Hey, it's broke. You want to fix it? Yeah. I'm gifted in the area where I'm ambidextrous. So I have a people side and I have this mechanical side. But I've, over the years, been able to use both sides to communicate and translate into people and then also develop good service writers and run a good shop and keep it organized. And put the right parts on the right cars at the right time and charge a fair price. That's not as easy as it sounds today. Yeah. You know, when I first started, there was 14 spark plug numbers, three tire sizes, and one grade of oil. Those days are up. Yeah. It's really funny. Uh, on, the, on our side of the business, it's the lack of technicians. On the supply chain side of the, of the business, it's the growth of SKUs they can't deal with. You know, the <laughs> It's just amazing back and forth. But, you know, you found a unique way of giving back to that. You had mentioned you're part of a 20 group. I I know you work with the uh, ATI folks, but you have a plan after retirement that you had mentioned to me. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? You want to really give back, don't you? I really want to see people succeed. You know, the American dream is to see success, to see people grow in business and to help them become successful and give back to the community. That's just made this country great. Right. And uh, so, you know, I'm working on my education. I'm touching up my education. I want to become a coach. I want to be able to help people. You know, I have a coach at ATI, Eric Twiggs. I talk to him every Monday morning. 
we look at our numbers. Even though I'm a good player, it's like being a great basketball player or a great athlete. You always have a coach. He's always tuning your game and looking forward, you know. And so I want to help people do that. You know, it's not easy. Sometimes you get your head under the hood and you cannot see what you got to do. And having a coach help you organize your time, focus on your marketing, making sure that you're taking care of all the bureaucratic things so you're compliant, and you can focus on your skill of fixing cars. That's what I want to be able to do. So I'd love to get a doctorate in business philosophy. You know, I've thought about it. I don't need it, but it'd be nice to have that so I could open up more doors and help more people. And by the way, what we do in the automobile business, those same skills spill over to other services. And I think I could do a real lot to help people. I really want to do everything I can to help this economy and help businesses grow, help people become successful, create jobs by helping people run better businesses. That is an admirable philosophy to have. And frankly, that is one of the hallmarks, again, I think that we see in the industry right now. One of the biggest fears I have is in this transition I keep talking about, you know, we're, we're watching the uh, one generation, the baby boomer generation are retiring and the individuals who are coming up behind us. I worry about the transfer of knowledge. There's a huge wealth of information leaving, but there's also a huge different progressive approach to automobile repairs yeah. that I see my young techs. 25 to 35, approaching that, the ones that are interested and doing a great job. Yeah. I mean, I see this change in the industry going towards electric cars is great. Still got wheels, still got tires, still got drivers crashing into things. Instead of having an oil change, you're going to be out there in a multimeter making sure all the cells are balanced in the lipo battery. It's still got coolant, still got fans, still got air conditioning. It's still a great industry. As long as people are driving things around, they're breaking them. We can fix them. It's good. And therein lies the reason why the independent automotive repair market, doesn't matter what comes out of the assembly lines, we're going to be here to make sure it works properly. I wish we had a million more people like yourself who are so dedicated, but also willing to share and give back. You have a unique set of skills. I, I that believe that I want to share it. And, you know, everybody has that little magic in them. Yeah. They just have to find it. They just have to focus on the right light, move towards the right light. It's pretty hard sometimes when you're busy working 60, 70 hours a week and you're beating yourself up. But if they just stop and take the time yeah. and focus and have somebody to talk to, they'll be there. Well, Steve, I could go on all day with you, but unfortunately, our time is just about up. So any last words before I let you go for the day? Well, thanks a lot for having me on. I really appreciate it. And, you know, I'm hoping that I can inspire one person, just even if it's only one, to move in the right direction and become successful. If I can inspire a whole group or organization, I'll be fired up. That's what we need. Well, Steve, again, we want to thank you for your service, both to the industry and to the, to the country in the past. And I'll look forward to talking with you again. Again, I want to thank you for your time today. We have been talking with Steve Westoff, the owner of ProCat Auto Service in Toms River, New Jersey, an ASE world-class technician and certainly a shop owner with a vision. So, Steve, again, thanks for your time today. We'll look forward to talking again. Well, thanks, Tony. It was a pleasure, and I, I enjoyed talking to you. As did I. Have a great weekend. Take care. Hey, you have a good one too. Thanks. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you're brand new to the ASA podcast or if you've been here before, I encourage you to subscribe so you won't miss some of the great things we have coming up in our future episodes. Just hit the subscribe button wherever you're listening and you'll be good to go. If you enjoy our podcast and find our content valuable, make sure to leave a rating and review wherever you are listening to this. And if you're an automotive service facility shop owner listening to this podcast and you'd like to know more about ASA, I invite you to visit our website 
at asashop.org. I'm Tony Mala, and thanks for listening.